the 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast, hosted by 360 Energy. On today's episode, we are joined by James Williams, one of 360 Energy's senior analysts with 10 years experience in the industry. He's an expert in electricity and natural gas commodity markets across North America and ensures clients secure the best possible pricing and contract conditions from suppliers and utilities. He provides regulatory advice to clients regarding Ontario's former cap-and-trade system and current emissions performance standards program, while considering the Canadian federal carbon tax and output-based pricing system. Now on to the episode with James. Welcome back, Dave and John. Today, we're also joined by James Williams, and I'll pass it over to Dave for that introduction. Well, it's nice to be back, Lysandra, and I'm really pleased to have our guest, James Williams. James is a senior analyst for 360 Energy and has been viewing and watching markets for many years now. He has a lot of experience in markets where it's it's been you know very volatile. He's been in markets where it's actually been not volatile. So he, he does have a, a lot of experience. He and his team look at markets, and we also talk to tier one suppliers frequently. So the information he has is, is from our research, but also the work in talking with various suppliers in, in all commodities. But today we're going to talk about natural gas because there's big changes that have gone on. And I'm sure a lot of discussions are going to go on in boardrooms because there'll be some big surprises. Energy prices have gone up dramatically. And so we're looking forward to have James here to start talking about this stuff. So James, welcome to our podcast. Appreciate you joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks, Dave, for that. So, Dave, you gave me a perfect transition. James, can you start off by explaining how the natural gas market works? And Dave and John, feel free to jump in as well. Yeah, so when we talk about North America, we're actually talking about a a collection of natural gas markets. There are, at least for, for Canadian customers, three primary price points or price hubs that we we talk about three markets we focus on uh, the first is which is a price hub out in Alberta the second is Don uh, which is a price hub in southern Ontario and the third is a price hub in the US called Henry hub this is where Nymex uh, pricing is based and Nymex pricing has a big impact on on Canadian pricing as well because the US market is so so large and then throughout the U.S., there are, are a wide variety of, of local pricing hubs that will that will impact local pricing. When we're talking about pricing hubs and how pricing works, fundamentally, it's a balancing between supply and demand and the price suppliers are willing to sell their gas at and the, the price consumers are willing to buy gas at. And as, as more consumers buy gas, it pushes prices higher. And as more producers sell gas, it pushes prices lower. That fun, fundamentally, that's a bit of a simplica- simplification, but that's, that's how it fundamentally works. What we see, especially in NYMEX, is as a commodity traded on a stock exchange, there are other factors that will impact it in terms of speculation, expectations for future gas pricing. So where we're seeing more factors driving prices in terms of it being traded as a commodity rather than being uh, traded for for production or use purposes, that will impact the the price as well. But fundamentally, what it comes down to is what people are willing to pay for gas and what producers are willing to sell for gas. And the, the different price hubs balance their their demand at that price hub for that gas to be either sold or, or bought. 
James, a uh, quick point to our listeners, because we have some from out in Western Canada in the BC area. Do you recall the delivery point that they would be looking at in BC? Yes, the, the BC delivery point is Sumas, which okay. is on the, the border uh, with Washington State. Okay, thank you for that. And what's really interesting is with markets, we, we love markets because we love transparency in, in the States. It's traded and it's visually, you can see on a screen, there's a variety of services that companies can purchase where you can see what markets, the price of, of, of natural gas per month. And so it, just so everyone knows, there's different market transparency made available in different markets, but certainly that's it's really important to have that access and transparency for, for us and for the listeners so they know what's going on. And certainly James will be talking about that as well. Yeah, can, can um, I just put something in here? Because yes. you know, we've, we, we may have listeners from all over the place. And I think one advantage that your North American market has that perhaps you wouldn't think of or mention is its geopolitical stability. Because, you know, if, if you're like I am sat, sat in the United Kingdom, we, we have a country called Russia, which can, supplies an awful lot of gas and is deciding at the moment not to increase its exports. I just want to throw in a, a question here. Within the North American supply, do you get a reluctance on the suppliers to sort of release gas or not? In, I mean, it's a little more political, should we say, over here with uh, the needs of China and Russia being very big players in it. But I wonder if you could comment on if there's any impacts like that that occur in North America. Typically, those those kind of production-related declines would be more contingent on price than any kind of political um, maneuvering. Again, you do see a lot of... Uh, it is a very competitive market, and it is very much linked between Canada and the U.S., and to, to some extent with, with Mexico, but uh, primarily Canada and the U.S. in terms of production. So there is always the... The balancing act of is it cheaper to produce gas here or to to get it from the other country and if if it's you know cheaper to produce and export from producing canada and export to the us then you might see us production drop off a bit there is that kind of competitive force typically driving producers to to produce as much as they can at the the current price point as long as they're profitable we have seen price drop below profitability that profitability levels for certain producers in the past uh, and that has had an impact on production where you know they've slowed down their production just because it wasn't profitable enough to get gas right. out of the ground at that level but it's not the same kind of uh, no. balancing act that that you have across europe and and across even asia where where you have the multiple offshoots and political entities vying for access to to the same kind of sources of gas yeah john i i think we're really fortunate i think we take things for granted uh, i actually believe it's also impacted our culture we have an abundance of energy historically it's been cheap and i think because of that we take things for granted and we don't focus on it when i think in talking to you in europe when you have interruptions of supply and you've had a, a history of interruptions of supply or possible supply that puts it into the the psyche of the of the society so they don't take it for granted and they look at energy differently than i think we do in north america now however we i think that's going to change because of carbon but i do see uh, and in talking with you and others that certainly the european psyche has changed the thought process is so different because 
you don't have the availability or it's not in your country or don't have the full supply in your country. Yeah. It makes a big difference. I was going to say, on, whilst we're on that, it's, it's just worth exploring from from the international point of view of course in the uk we we were we were getting the majority of our oil and gas from from the continental shelf which of course was within our our purview and i think as a result of that it's quite interesting that we certainly in natural gas terms we massively reduce the amount of storage that we have in this country and i think the current statistic is within europe we, we've only got one percent of the storage of gas in europe and you may or may not know, but we're going through massive price hikes here at the moment. And I know we're going to talk about spiking later on. But an element of that has been because of Europe filling up its storage. So you, this is a great segue because when we talk about natural gas and we talk burner tip, that means the gas being delivered to the actual location. I know today we're going to talk strictly about commodity, but James, can you explain to our listeners, the different components that are in an end user's cost structure when they when it goes right to them. What what are the three components? And maybe there's two in certain jurisdictions that they that make up your your natural gas costs. Yeah, so we we focus primarily uh, on commodity, which is the the market based component. That's the the price of the actual one can say natural gas molecule you're getting. The, the commodity itself. And that is that is what we kind of focus on when we talk about natural gas markets. And we'll be focusing on that on tomorrow's podcast as well about why gas pricing is, is so volatile. Um, or I should say next week's pro, uh, podcast. But when we're talking about why gas pricing is so volatile, uh, that we tend to focus on the commodity side. Uh, but there are, there are, as you mentioned, a couple of other components. They are in some mo- uh, markets, what we would consider transportation, or in the U.S., it's typically termed as basis differential, uh, and that's the the cost of getting the pr- the gas from a pricing hub. In Canada, that would typically be based on ACO, and in the U.S., that would typically base be based on NYMEX. Getting the gas from that pricing hub to whichever whichever location you're at. So historically, in Canada, we would pay transportation costs to ship gas from ACO to dawn so it's the cost of getting that molecule you're paying at you know you're paying at for at echo getting that molecule to dawn which is the the ontario kind of delivery point for gas where it enters the distribution system here and then you pay the distribution cost to get it from that kind of distribution point in in ontario again that would be dawn to your local facility and that's a distribution cost uh, and that is especially in Canada, regulated by the the OEB in Ontario and by the the NEB and and various uh, state level or provincial level energy boards. And in the the US, that tends those distribution charges tend to be regulated based on the the Public Utilities Commission's allowance of of utility rates. Where when you see the basis differential in the US, US and the, the transportation cost in Canada, that tends to be uh, a market cost. There is this uh, balancing act and that takes place with the cost of getting the gas at that local facility. So you can buy gas directly at Dawn in Ontario. And I use Dawn as an example because that is the most relevant one for our, most of our customers here in Ontario. You can buy gas directly there. You don't have to buy it at ECO now. Uh, so there's this balancing between the cost of buying it at ECO and shipping it to Dawn versus buying it directly at Dawn. So what we typically see is that as gas pricing increases, that transportation cost decreases because it 
there's that need to make the gas more competitive and you're trying to shave that cost off on the transportation side to make it more com uh, competitive with the cost here in Ontario specifically. But what we're seeing currently, and I'll get into this more in next week's podcast, is that transportation isn't dropping off as much as we would expect currently based on the, the increase in gas pricing, because that increase is, is occurring across the board. Uh, so there isn't that, that opportunity or there isn't as much of a difference in terms of how much the, the increases in the commodity side are impacting the, the separate pricing points. I'd like to, I, I know in these, these podcasts that we're going to do, it's going to be focusing on commodity, but I want to tell our listeners that they should be looking at all three components. Even though some are regulated, there's still things that you can do. But we will be focusing on the commodity. And, and and I will say, too, the marketplace tends to focus on commodity and they don't talk about transportation or distribution. And if customers don't look at that, I think they're missing opportunities just to give everyone a heads up for all listeners here. Well, and across Canada now, we're also seeing a fourth element, which is carbon pricing and the carbon tax. Uh, and so that's something customers should also be focusing on. Um, Across Canada, the, the federal government has set a, a kind of benchmark carbon price that's currently $40 per ton or about $2 per gigajoule of gas and increasing to about $250 uh, per gigajoule in, in 2022. And that is uh, is added on top, typically added in by the distribution company as part of their distribution charges. But there are opportunities, especially for large emitters, to, to take control of that charge as well and to reduce the, the carbon tax on their gas. But that is something that we are seeing as a, a separate component that that is now impacting customers in Canada and it does impact some customers in the US primarily in California but something we could see increasing and being layered onto bills in the US as more states start to investigate the uh, the idea of adding a carbon tax or a carbon price can, can I ask one here and I it's a question I know I'm going to ask you and you're not going to be able to answer accurately but I think it's one that some people will be thinking about What's the relative cost between transportation distribution and actually the commodity? Because I know it's going to vary as commodity prices are changing more than the other cost. But typically, if I was looking, if I was looking at a gas bill today, what proportion of the, my spend on gas would, would be not the commodity? Yeah, so right now you're looking on the gas side, and I'll just use an Ontario customer so that yeah. we can add in that transportation component. Alberta customers don't have that transportation component because the gas is produced there in Alberta. They aren't transporting it anywhere. But for an Ontario customer, that breakdown is going to be currently about uh, $3.50 to $4 at ACO, which is the, the commodity price. So that's uh, $3.50 to $4 for commodity, about a dollar to a dollar 20 within that range for transportation. Right. Um, about another dollar 50 at this point, dollar to dollar 50 for, for the distribution uh, charges. And again, that, that varies depending on how you use your gas. Yeah. And at this point, at $40 a ton, about $2 per gigajoule for the, the carbon tax. So if you're looking at a, a total price, of about $8 a gigajoule, about about 25% of that is carbon tax, about 50% of that is the commodity, and the remaining 25% is split between the, the transportation and distribution. Well, that and underscores what, the point, doesn't it, Dave, that you don't want to just be looking at commodity cost. 
It's true, John. And and what's really interesting is James is, is talking about pricing because it's uh, natural gas commodity costs have increased substantially. But when it was low, like it was almost, you know, one third, one third, one third, and I'm not including carbon costs. So for sure, it's 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 got to be factored. James, just for our, our, our listeners, I, I find, um, you know, when we look at uh, customer utility costs, that they typically look at electricity because it's a higher cost. Natural gas, because it's been lower, tends to be kind of second on their list. And then water as a utility, that's the third. But I don't think, can you explain to customers, I don't think if you, if you normalized, if you put gas into kilowatt hours, just the same as kilowatt hours, I don't think customers are, are aware of how dependent or how much gas we really use in comparison to other units. Can you share with, with our listeners, you know, an example of, of customers and it may be, it's going to be different in different jurisdictions, I'm sure because of heating loads, but can you share what, uh, like make it relative for people how important natural gas or in this industry is for customers yeah so and, and that's always going to change depending on on where you are uh, and how you use your gas and uh, what you use it for so we have a, a customer that that has a facility here in ontario that uses gas for both heating and process so they're they're using the gas and you know they have ovens they have various elements of their process that require gas so it's not just weather related load and for them they use about four times as much from gas as they get from from electricity so it's about a four to one breakdown if you're just looking at the straight numbers in terms of units it looks substantially smaller but that's because one gigajoule is about 278 kilowatt hours um, so it doesn't look like you're using a lot of energy when you're looking at it in, you know, 10,000 uh, 10, gigajoules a month. doesn't look like a lot, but that's, you know, equivalent to 2.7 uh, million kilowatt hours a month. So it's it's something where you have to, to break down and do that conversion to see how much energy you're actually getting from the electricity or from the natural gas compared to electricity. And when you're looking at a cost, you know, at that $8 per gigajoule, which is which is at this point quite high compared to what we've seen previously, you're still only paying about three cents per kilowatt hour. So it is still, you know, even at an inflated gas price, still substantially cheaper per unit of energy per kilowatt hour than, than electricity here in Ontario. So it, there is a very big difference there. For the, the company as a whole, when you look at all of their facilities, some of which have only, only heating load for gas and some of which don't have any heating load for gas. This is a company that has sites across North America. Their breakdown is closer to uh, 1.5 uh, to 2 times as much energy from natural gas as they get from electric. So even even when you add in all of the sites that are, are you know, in the southern U.S. use very minimal gas for heating, no gas for process, they're still getting a large amount of their, their energy, you know, the, the majority of their energy from, from natural gas. And, and uh, I think our listeners might be surprised by that, but it's even more important as we go towards electrification, you've got to replace that thermal fuel and obviously that's not going to happen overnight but that, that that's the type of work that has to be done as we decarbonize going forward so thanks james i think our listeners may be surprised by that fact uh, because they typically don't uh, look at it that way one thing john i love about the uh, the europeans is that you guys have normalized your energy units so a customer can really yeah. tell the difference yeah, we, between yeah it's it's it is actually good it's quite interesting because here we talk in our gas markets of, of firms, 
but technically the firm is no longer a legal unit within the United Kingdom. And if you're certainly retail selling electricity and gas, you have to sell them by the kilowatt hour. Right. So the customers can really tell what is yeah. gas. So most like people here. Much. Most people here who look at their look at their bills, and again, you've always got to be careful plucking these figures out the air, but realise that they pay about three to four times as much for their electricity as they do for their gas. Right. And of course, in North America, you don't have nearly as much regulation in terms of uh, no. requiring everyone to use the same unit so you can oh definitely not <laughs> even even in in ontario where you've got you know two two regulated gas utilities they they report the the gas on your distribution bill in cubic meters which of course is a, a unit of volume but you buy your gas especially if you're buying it in supply you buy it in the marketplace and deliver it to that utility in gigajoules which is a unit of energy so and isn't always a consistent, you know, unit of energy per unit of volume. So you've already, just in this one system, you've got this conversion between these two units. And then when you look at the US, there's the difference between therms, decatherms, a uh, million yeah. British thermal, thermal units, a uh, thousand cubic feet, hundred cubic feet. When you're looking at storage levels, they're typically reported in billion cubic feet. Uh, so you've got all of these different units that you need to be able to to kind of convert back and forth from and it it's it can make it very confusing if you don't know exactly what you're looking at and you don't know you know how to convert those units so yeah, you, no you touched on i was going to say sorry there you have touched on a really important point that sometimes people don't understand but a gas meter as such is not an energy meter it's a volumetric meter and you could be putting nitrogen through it and it would still be turning at the same rate. Hence, you need to know about pressure, temperature corrections and calorific values. And as you say, this can make, I don't know, do you think sometimes in sectors like this that sometimes the experts use these these elements to, shall we say, befuddle the consumer at times? <laughs> you, you kind of wonder, John, don't you? Uh, you do. I mean I mean, to be clear, uh, and we've, we've talked in these podcasts that we, we believe energy is controllable. Well, we know that because we can put these units, we, we, we do this every day, but a, a listener may not understand that. And because they don't, that means they freeze and don't do anything. And so it's, it's a possibility. Yes. Yeah. So if we in the marketplace could sort of start standardizing language, like, for example, whether it's kilowatt hours for gas. Uh, and electricity or GJs, whatever, it, I think it would really help the uh, consumer understand where their energy is being used, for sure. I, I think so. I think so. Well, this brings me to my next question. So what does a natural gas customer do with this information? So are there other alternatives they should be considering once they kind of normalize their energy usage and see that they're using so much natural gas? Yeah, so uh, as Dave kind of uh, touched on, there is the, the option of electrification. Um, this is it requires a bit of a balance between you know the the anticipating what the future costs are anticipating how much more efficient an electric version might be than a gas version what you see typically on heating elements is that all of the energy you use from from an electric heating element goes into heat or or most of it it's uh it's very efficient where with gas there tends to be a, a drop off in the efficiency where you aren't getting all of the energy out of the gas that you're putting in so there is some efficiency in uh, stuff you have to look at there so it isn't a straight one to one conversion in terms of the the energy 
energy you're using on gas would be the energy you're using on electricity. So you need to, to look at that. There are, are other options such as, as geothermal, which is starting to take off. And I believe that we have a, a podcast coming up on geothermal as well in the future. So stay tuned for that. That's something you can, you can consider. It does provide both heating and cooling at opportunities. So it, it can work in as an, an alternative to, to HVAC primarily. It tends not to be used for, for process. We are seeing early investigations into the use of, of hydrogen, especially on the process side of things and, and, and on the, the heating side of things. So that's something that uh, we've talked about before on prior podcasts, but it is, it is an upcoming alternative. But I would say the biggest thing customers can focus on when it comes to, to controlling their gas and controlling their gas costs is energy efficiency and making sure that you are implementing the processes, implementing the, making the technical changes and process changes to to minimize your gas consumption wherever you can. That can be, you know, changing a process around so that you're reusing any waste heat. We've had customers that have done that where where they've, you know, rerouted uh, heat pipes so that the the waste heat is getting directed back into the the kind of pre-cycle, pre-warming the water before it goes into the, the boiler or through the boiler so that it gets, you know, they don't have to heat it up as much. And they, it can be installing energy efficient insulation to, to reduce the, the waste heat from the building envelope. One big item we've seen customers have success with is, uh, is air curtains and, and automated uh, door closure mechanisms or even just remote door closure mechanisms. Vent heating the outside is one of the biggest ways you can waste gas. If you've got a lot of trucks coming through and you just leave the bay door open all day, you're, you're basically, you know, heating, heating the environment just to keep it, keep the, the, the warehouse slightly warmer than the outside. So having these kind of remote mechanisms that can automatically shut doors when there isn't a truck around can go a long way to actually minimizing gas consumption for, for places that do have a lot of, uh, a lot of shipping and especially heated shipping areas. And James, I think you were, we've, you've touched on this. We certainly have talked to this numerous times in the podcast and certainly the customer having access to data and understanding where they're using their natural gas, really important, but that's important even in the procurement of natural gas as well, which I don't think a lot of people will fully comprehend uh, that that's important to not only understand what your forecast is, but comparing it month to month from what you bought, which I think we'll talk in our next podcast anyhow. But yeah, this is this has been very good information on this side. What is the biggest takeaway you can give our listeners from this episode? I think the big takeaway is uh, is pay attention, as Dave said, to where you're using your gas and what you're paying for your gas, and recognize that gas pricing is is cheap now. It's been something that you can you can just kind of ignore or or take lightly, but especially in Canada, as we see the carbon tax increasing year over year with a, a set target of $170 per ton by 2030, gas pricing isn't going to be nearly as cheap relative to, to electricity as it has been. So pay more attention to it, be proactive and take the action now to avoid those increasing costs and, and see the benefit when, when those costs do rise. I mean, $170 a ton is uh, $9 a gigajoule or so, which is what customers are paying all in or less, you know, and have been paying less than all in for gas over the past, you know, uh, past 10 years. And when that increases, you know, you're, you're going to be paying $15 a ton or more perhaps in 2030. And at that price, it's a lot more comparable to electricity. So start focusing on it now so that you aren't caught by surprise and so that you don't have that, that period of pain and have to be reactive at that point to, to the higher prices. 
a great way to end off this week's episode. Thank you, James, for coming on this week. I think that this episode is very important for our listeners before next week's episode, uh, where we talk about the natural gas market spike. So talk to you all next week. Thank you, James. Thank you very much, James.